0: I, I can't believe that we get to be together on Sunday mornings for over four decades I've been in church and it's one of the single most important reasons that um, my faith has grown uh, the faith of, of us as together has grown and during the meet and greet time I had a, a Rick Beckendorf came up and said hello to me and when I was 16 years old Rick was an idol of mine so every time I see a Rick I get encouraged every time I see this group of people together I get encouraged and uh, and just such a blessing that God has given us a church to come to, to worship him, to fellowship with one another, and to, to learn more about how to flourish in life and how to how to how to give it away. Um, Trevor has taken us on a really great journey over the last six months. Before Advent, we were in Judges, right? We, we went through the book of Judges, and we learned a little bit about the Old Testament. Then we did Advent and Christmas, and then we jumped into the last couple uh, books of the book of John, the chapters of the book of John, and we did that. Um, And then we had Lent and Easter, right? Really exciting. And then coming up, Trevor's going to lead us in a series of women in the Bible, which is great. Today, we're going to tackle the topic of confession. I know that sounds daunting or may sound a bit negative, confession, confession of sin. But it's really exciting. These are two verses here. We're going to hang out in two verses, Hebrews 3, 12 through 15, and Matthew 5, 14 through 16, that are really powerful and have been powerful in my life and many of my friends' life. So let's take a look at some of these. verses. We'll read them. Um, We're going to talk about confession. So let's read the first first verse uh, here, Hebrews 3, uh, 12 through 15, verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness." We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. And we'll look at, uh, as as has just been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Now we'll look at Matthew as well Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way let your light shine before before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven the word of the lord thanks be to god let's pray heavenly father i pray that your words would penetrate our hearts our minds would be on our lips lord you have the words of life or else do we turn? Your word is life. The wisdom of the world competes for first place in our life. It is tempting. Help us to replace the wisdom of the world, which is foolishness, with the words that you have, the words of life. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we're going to look at two avenues of confession. First, confession of sin, which is, you know, kind of difficult and hard. But in reality, it's really good. It's really good when, when sin gets open, exposed, and, and because when sin's exposed, then there's real healing that can take place. And when sin's not exposed, bad stuff happens, right? And so we want to look at that, and we want to look at confession of Christ, of uttering Christ, of telling the world who Christ is. So those are two areas we're going we're gonna to deal with uh, today. So first, let's talk about confession of, of sin. And by the way, before I talk about confession of sin, let's understand that we are created in God's image. We're created in God's image very good with a purpose. And so in addition to that, we're also, we've also rebelled. we have also broken people. So created in God's image very good with a purpose, God loves us and cares for us, but also broken because we rebelled. So we're going to look at the, this brokenness a little bit. And first I want to deal, deal with is define this area. of sin. So you can go to the next slide. So see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. So this idea of be having a sinful and unbelieving heart. Let's define sin for a second. Most of us will hang out on the idea that sin is immorality, right? That sin is like these big things like adultery or lust or gluttony or violence or real serious anger that people can see. Things that are outside of ourselves, things that people will notice and pay attention to. These are kind of immoral sins. And C.S. Lewis would call these sins of the flesh, right? Really fleshly Sins that are nasty. And these things really take hold of us and they really destroy us. If you're dealing with anger, anger breeds anger, right? Dealing with lust, lust can breed lust. If you're dealing with gluttony, gluttony breeds gluttony. This stuff feeds you, it feeds your, who you are as a human being. So if we're not careful, these, these immoral sins, these sins of the flesh, can really take us and destroy us. But then there's the moral sins the sins that no one would ever say anything about. The sins that you place, the things that you place above God. Let's say like your education. You value your education more than God. Or let's say your children. You value your children more than God. Or let's say your career or your neighbor. These things, these are really good things in our lives that no one's ever going to know if those are real sins or not. Because they're not nasty. They're like the The sins of the spirit, like pride, that are inside of us that no one really knows unless you get really close. And dare we get very close, you'll get to know those sins in each of one of us, right? Those sins of pride and jealousy and bitterness that destroy us. These are sins of the spirit, these are sins of, of, of idolatry. And no one will know because they're hidden. The anger is not hidden. The adultery is not hidden. The addictions are not hidden, and so they're easy to know. These moral sins, these good sins, are hidden, and Satan wants it that way. Satan wants them hidden, because when they're hidden, they can fester. No one will call. No one will tell us anything about them. Your your fr- best friend's not going to say anything. Your your close friend's not going to say anything. No one's going to say anything. These are dangerous, because their secret. St. Augustine talks about misordered love as sin. Anytime we put anything above God, because the first place, the first order is God in worship of God. And anytime we put anything else in that place, a job, a career, an education, another person, we begin to sin. And so I always talk to my students. I teach one class a semester at Pacifica. I say to them this question, can you sin while watching a sunset? So pretend you're on the beach of Santa Monica. Can you sin while watching that sunset? They said, of course you can. So some guy's walking down the street or the beach and it annoys you and you get jealous. I'm like, let's not talk about some guy. Let's just talk about that sunset. You're looking at enjoying that sunset. It's evening. It's a summer evening. Can you sin? And they're like, what are you talking about? Because most people look at sin as moral sin. They don't look at enjoying a sunset as a possible sin, but if we elevate that sunset above our creator, it becomes a sin. If we put that sunset or that song that we love or that nice meal that we make above our creator, we begin to make it an idol. If we put our wife or our husband, our girlfriend or our boyfriend, above God, we begin to sin. You know what else we do? We begin to ruin that thing. We begin to ruin the sunset. We begin to ruin the wife. We begin to ruin the children because they're not supposed to be there. We had friends in college that were dating and they broke up. And the the guy told the girl, said, listen, you're worshiping me way too much. I'm an idol in your life. And until that idol is crushed, we can't be together. They broke up. They got back together once they got the order right, they got the order right. God first, and other things are second. So this is the type of sin that we deal with. Take a look at this photo. You can go to the next next two. There you go. There it is. You should get to know this group of people. They're pretty cool. <laughs> really, really cool. This is our family. Um, amazing story. I don't have time to go into all of it. But amazing people, talented people. Just just doing amazing things, uh, living here in West L.A. And I am so thrilled with these guys. Teachers, investment bankers, athletes, students. Sue and I have been married for 34 years. What a blessing this family is. Really cool. Again, take us to lunch. You should get to know us a little bit. (laughs) But behind all the goodness is sin. It's sin. There's sin in each one of our lives. I don't have permission to tell you exactly which sin aligns to which person. They're sitting right there. But I will will tell you there is insecurity. There are self-control issues. There's perfectionism. There's all the things that we deal with that destroy this family. And we work as a family on identifying and exposing that sin so that God can have his way in our life. I will tell you right now, this is my idol. This is my sin. Because I elevate this group above God on a daily basis. And you should never tell me anything different. Don't ever call me on it. Don't ever tell me it's wrong, because this is a good sin. Don't say anything. No, you should actually say something. Because anytime God becomes second or third or fourth place, It begins to destroy all of this. So when I make these guys an idol, this family an idol, I destroy it. And so I'm culpable of destroying this family. I hate to be negative. I'm just trying to be real with you guys, right? That when we elevate these things above Christ, we begin to destroy them. See, my sin is insidious. It's no longer this outward, crazy, immoral thing, or it could be easily, right? Right? It's these inner idols that destroy and capture my attention every single day. You see, I grew up, my mom was in 10th grade when I was born. She was 15 years old. I went to nine different elementary schools, never met my father. The sin of self-control and of injustice and anger dominated my life. And it still kind of has a capture on my life, right? So my sin... Is evident, evident. But God has a different plan. God wants to redeem it. Let's look at the next slide here. Let's look back to the scripture. Okay. Verse twelve. See to it. So now we know what sin is. It's there's moral and immoral sins. There's idolatry, right? And then verse. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. So these three words, see to it, are dangerous. They're, I mean, they're very dangerous. See to your sin? Let's talk about that for a second. If we look at our sin, is that painful? That's absolutely painful. It is hard. And if we do it together, that's a recipe for disaster. Let's all look at our sin together. Because you know what I'm going to do with your sin, I'm going to go, Yeah, I'm glad you're worse than me, right? I'm going to gossip about your sin. I'm going to talk about your sin. I'm going to focus on your sin because I'm a broken human being. So seeing to it, looking at our problems and our shortcomings and our sins and our idols, looking at those things as a community is dangerous. It's hard. It's difficult. It's messy. It's painful. And by the way, when we begin to look at our sin, we stir up Satan. We stir up the enemy. Because you know what the enemy wants us to do? Ignore it. The enemy wants us to ignore sin and pretend it doesn't exist. And we just continue to play with it, right? And as long as we ignore it, Satan likes that. But as soon as we get serious about it and start looking at it, as soon as we start seeing to it, Satan starts to pay attention. And Satan doesn't want that. He wants to go after us. He wants us to continue to play with the sins we have. Continue to idolize the things we idolize and not be serious about worshiping God. So really, it's messy when we see to it. We really have two options with our sin. The first option is we can let it go. Like like I just said, we can let it go. And by the way, letting our sin go and not paying attention to it, that's an easy thing to do. It's, It's like a breath of fresh air. It's just not painful, you know. It's a lot easier to ignore it, not pay attention to it. And so it's easy, but we all know that it destroys us if we don't pay attention to it. So it's easy, but it leads to destruction. And Satan wants these sins in secret. He wants them to be in the dark, not in the light, in secret. Under the rose, sub rosa, in secret, no one knows. So it grows and it festers and the bitterness you know what's, what bitterness does to you, right? It just destroys your life. Jealousy, anxiety, these things Satan wants to continue to have in secret. Gossip, Satan specializes in these good sins that no one knows about. Satan wants these good sins to fester and develop, these things that are under the surface that no one knows. And he really wants sins inside the church to fester and grow. Sins inside this room. I don't know about you. Are you annoyed with anyone in here? Some of you chuckled, which means yes. Right? <laughs> Satan wants that annoyance to grow. I don't know about you. Are you jealous of anyone in here? Maybe they have a better job than you, a better house than you. They have a better circumstance than you. Satan wants those jealousies and that, those annoyances to grow and fester. Sins inside the church. Sins in the dark. You see, The immoral sins wake us up. They wake us up. Whoa, that's that's not good. I better deal with that. The idol, the small idols that we have that we make excuses for every single day don't wake us up. We just play with those things, and we love those things. And Satan's smiling all the way as we run away from God. Sin changes our very makeup. Have you known somebody that has been just completely godless their entire life. When you knew them when they were young and then you know them now. Sin changes our infrastructure, it changes our makeup. We have family members we've seen that have dealt with sin and not, or have sinned and continue to sin over years and years and years, serious things, and they're different people. We have two choices. We can allow Satan to mold and shape our life, the enemy, the temptations of the world that shape our life, or we can allow God to shape our life, right? Thank goodness that God rescued us. Thank goodness that God rescued us and began to mold and shape our lives. That we didn't allow Satan and the enemy to do that. It's a battle every single day because Satan's at war trying to capture our heart, our mind, and our soul. Sin changes our infrastructure. Sin is Satan's masterpiece. So the first thing we can do is just ignore it. The second thing we can do is deal with it and confess it. And this is what Hebrews is saying. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. See to it. Deal with it. Confession brings light. And when sin is exposed, guess what happens? Its power is diminished. Hallelujah. When sin is exposed, its power is diminished. When it comes to light it can be dealt with. We can take it seriously. And our culture tells us to run away from any problem, from any sin, to ignore it, to run away. God tells us, let's go through this together. I'm with you. Let's deal with it. Let's bring healing. When things come to light, have you brought something to light that's a problem or a sin in your life, and it just feels like a burden's been lifted off your back? That, That happens for me. I mean, At first, it's like, I don't want to say that. I don't want to confess that. I don't want to deal with that. And it's really scary, and it's hard and painful. But as you begin to confess it, it's like this burden is lifted. This burden is lifted. It's exposed. And healing starts to happen when we confess our sins. We begin to be set free. We begin to reorder things, the ordering of loves. There's a lifting of of a weight. Our conscience begins to clear. We begin to have more peace with God and others. Confession looses Satan's foothold. Confession is made at the foot of the cross. Confession is made at the foot of the cross. I want to show you this painting. And many of you have seen it before. This painting. This is Rembrandt's prodigal son. I know Scott Comer back there is snickering at this because he's seen this like a thousand times. This is one of my favorite, favorite paintings. This is the prodigal once the prodigal has come home, okay? He's at the feet of the Father. This is where confession happens, at the feet of the Father. Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who know their poverty. Most fortunate are those who know their poverty. You're fortunate if you know your spiritual poverty. Because your spiritual poverty drives you to the feet of Christ. Your spiritual poverty drives you to the feet of Christ. And at the feet of Christ is a lot of good stuff. Forgiveness. Forgiveness for all the idols. Forgiveness for all the moral, immoral things. Forgiveness for all the pain and suffering that we've caused and other people have caused us. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you know your spiritual poverty, Hebrews is trying to ask us to think about that. See to it that you have don't have a sinful, unbelieving heart. It drives us to the foot of the cross, the foot of Christ, where healing and forgiveness happen. I tell you a brief story, and again, a couple of you're gonna snicker because you've heard this a million times, but it's a story that's close to my heart. First year of marriage, Sue and I were driving for lunch to In-N-Out Burger. Right, it was a great lunch. And you know, it's over on Venice, you know, well, you know that one over there, It's been there forever. We get in the car, and the argument starts. And 34 years ago, 33 years ago, those arguments were a little different than they are today. More heated, more intense. I was way more immature and had way less self-control, and it was just a bad scene in the car. We get up to the apartment, the argument continues up the stairs into the apartment. We set the food out on the coffee table. She's sitting on the orange sofa that we inherited from her parents. St- things slept like four people. It was huge. I'm sitting on the coffee table, arguing with her. We're eating our lunch, and I don't know what happened. I really don't know what happened. It was like in slow motion. I had this hamburger, fries, and a vanilla shake. And all of a sudden, my right hand, that contained the vanilla shake, began to move from my side towards my front, and all of a sudden, the top of that vanilla shake came off, and the vanilla and the shake began to leave the, the cup, like, slow motion, I'm serious, like, about this, and again, this is 33 years ago, so this is, like, you know, it's a lot more immature, I just, I mentioned that already, okay, <laughs> so the shake begins to move across from the coffee table I was sitting on towards the orange sofa, who my wife of one year is sitting on this sofa, and I... Couldn't take it back. I couldn't grab it back. I couldn't go go like, what the heck? With the, it seemed like two hours. this happened. It was really like a half a second, and all of the vanilla shake covered her face, and the wall, and the couch, and there was silence, and I turned white like I'm turning now, <laughs> and she got up and left, and I was just speechless. I tell you that story because self-control issues, anger issues. I confess those things. Those things are still a part of my life. At the foot of Christ, there's healing and forgiveness. And so Sue offered forgiveness, and she said, you got to paint the wall because <laughs> there's no way. that We couldn't get it out. I painted the wall. I did all this stuff. But I tell you that story because we're all broken. And if we hide those things, They fester and they get worse and worse. We can let Satan mold and shape us. We can let the world mold and shape us. Or we can let God do it. And that's what happens. At the foot of Jesus, at the foot of the Father. Who fell at the foot of the Father? The leper, right? The leper fell down. The paralytic was placed at Jesus' feet. Jairus fell at his feet. The hemorrhaging woman fell at his feet. Mary fell at his feet at the tomb. There's examples throughout the Gospels of people falling at the feet of Christ. Church, let's fall at the feet of Christ because we know our spiritual poverty. Fortunate are you if you know that you're poor in spirit. Let's fall at the feet of Christ. So we have to deal with this stuff. See to it, brothers and sisters, that you don't have a sinful, unbelieving heart. Confession is made at the foot of the cross, and confession is made together. Go back to the next slide there. it's Made together. Actually, go back one, sorry. My bad. Confession is made together. See, this says, see to it, brothers and sisters. This is not, say, Jim, see to it yourself. It says, see to it corporately. And this is scary. This is where we can really mess each other up, right? We confess corporately. So, about 30 years ago, one of my close friends in college said, Man, I'm struggling with sin, I'm struggling with all kinds of stuff. Can we get together on Sunday nights and confess? Confess two things the goodness of God and our brokenness. I said, You want to do what? He said, Let's get together on Sunday night and confess the goodness of God and our brokenness. I said, Okay. Like, That was not something that I was excited about doing. But I got what he was getting at. And so five of us began on this journey on Sunday evenings of confessing God's goodness in our lives. What God was up to in our lives. And the sin and brokenness of our lives. And we prayed for each other. Read scripture together. At the same time, the five women we were either married to or dating at the time started getting together to do the same thing. Confessing Sin and Christ's goodness together, praying for one another, reading Scripture together. That has lasted for thirty-four years. Every single, well, a couple Super Bowl Sunday we don't get together. <laughs> and so, Sunday morning church service and Sunday evening, we call it faith group together, has transformed those habits. Have transformed our life. So I go from a person. Throwing a shake and, by the way, a lot of worse things, too, into my wife's face to a person who says, "God, forgive me. Help me. Take care of me. Let me bless others." Those habits. So I want to encourage you to be intentional about building community, to getting in each other's lives. You don't have to have a Sunday night group that meets for thirty-four years. Just grab one other person and go to lunch. And, be, and be, make sure it's a trusted person, right? You, you don't want to be confessing sin to some, somebody that you don't trust. Because that can be a problem, right? But you want to grab someone that you trust and get to know someone and begin this process of confessing the good things, confessing the hard things so healing can start to take place. Let's not let this stuff be hidden. It's obvious. It's going to come out in the long run anyway, right? It's all going to come out. Let's deal with it now so we can have real life and real community. So I'm encouraging you to try to find that place. That place of intentional community. Maybe inside this church. But here's the deal. Confession with brothers and sisters, it's a miracle. Because left to our own devices, that information will destroy us. Left to our own devices, our own sins, and our own arrogance... Confessing one another, we'll use it against each other, it's just not good. But with the Holy Spirit and confession combined together, it brings goodness. It's a miracle that we can confess to one another and still like each other. It really is. It really is. It's a testament to God's grace and mercy. So confession of sin. Let's turn to the second area of confession. Confession of Christ. Actually, let's not turn to that yet. Sorry, my bad. Okay. There's another reason that confession is dangerous. There's another reason that seeing to it is dangerous. Because when we see to it, we're turning inward. When we see to it, we're turning inside. We're looking at our heart and who we are. We're, we're doing self-reflection. And if you, read, if you read the scriptures, the word self is not really a good thing, right? It's really this idea of, like, looking towards God. Life is found In God, not in self, right? Life is found in Christ. We're supposed to deny ourselves. But here I'm telling you, do some self-reflection. Figure out what's hardened your heart. Figure out what sins are breaking you. Here's the problem. Society tells us, self-reflect, 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 self-reflect. Look internal, look internal. That's what society tells us. And if we stay there, we're in a bad spot. We self-reflect. We look inside our heart. We look inside our mind. We look inside who we are to figure out what's broken. And then we bring it to God. We do self-reflection to, be, be, to, to worship. We do self-reflection to worship. The problem is society has cut out that worship and just said self-reflect. So it's dangerous to self-reflect. Society wants to say life is found inside your feelings, Life is found inside your passions. Life is found inside your desires. Pursue your passions, pursue your desires, pursue your your feelings. No. Life is found in Christ. Life is found in Christ. And by the way, are those feelings and passions and desires, are some of them Christ-given, God-given? Yes. Some of them are God-given. But some of those feelings, passions, and desires are not from God. My desire for the third double-double, that desire... That is God given. It is not God given. It is not God given. Our desire for someone other than our spouse is not God given. Life is not found in our desires, our passions, our feelings, our ideas, our bodies. Life is found in Christ. And so it's dangerous to self reflect because we start going inward. We're going inward to go outward. Does that make sense? Going inward to go outward. And society is telling us go inward, just stay there because that's where life is at in whatever you think it is. There's two philosophical schools that will talk about this. There's a group of philosophers in the 19th and 20th century, Marx, Nietzsche, and Freud. And we know what Nietzsche says, right, Dander, Colin? Nietzsche says, God is dead. There is no transcendent God. There is no purpose. There's there's no meaning in life. Just, Just you. So look inward. It's called the the Berlin Paris School of Philosophy. These philosophers from Berlin and Paris in the 19th and 20th centuries God is dead, life is in you. By the way, we all believe this. We've all been impacted by it. Even in the church, we're impacted by this philosophy that says life is in you. We say life is in God, but we live like life is in us. We are so dripping in this philosophy. But there's another philosophy. It's from the Athens-Jerusalem school of thought. The ancient world, right, that says life is not inside of you. God is not dead. There is a God who is real, who cares, who's present, who's been incarnate in Jesus Christ, and life is found in Christ, not in you. So are we going to trust Marx, Nietzsche, and Freud of the Berlin Paris school philosophy? Are we going to trust a Jerusalem-Athens school that says there is a God? That's transcendent, that brings meaning and purpose to life. So the second danger of seeing to it is self-reflection, is being self-centered, is ignoring God. And I'm telling you, church, I live in this, this space most of the time where I'm just focusing on myself, focusing on these things. So let's be careful with this self-reflection. Let's self-reflect to worship God. Let's use this self reflection as a way to deal with sin, bring it to light, and then bring it to the foot of the cross. All right, now, second area of confession it's confession of Christ. Confession of Christ. So, confession of sin and confession of Christ. Let's take a look at the scripture. You are the light of the world. Wow. (laughs) You are the light of the world. A town on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's a small task, right? You are the light of Santa Monica. You're the light of West LA. You're the light of Southern California. You're the light of California. You're the light of of the United States. No, you're the light of the world. How amazing is that? That God, does God need us to do this? No. God can do it. But God chooses to use us. God chooses to use us to confess Christ to the world. So, I don't know about you, but do you think this is a serious matter? Do you think this is exciting? Because I don't know about you, but most of the time, like, I don't want to be the light of the world. I just want to go about my day. And under the radar, do my thing. I don't want anybody to notice who I am. No, we're the light of the world, and we need to step into this role. If you struggle with purpose, like sometimes I do, this will solve it. Your purpose is to be the light of the world, so that people will confess Christ. People will glorify God. And so this is amazing. It's exciting. It's exciting to be the light of the world. It's exciting to share Christ with others. It's probably the most important thing that's ever, the important task that's ever been given to any group of people in history. It's not probably. It is the most important task that's been given to any group in the, in the history of the world. You are part of God's plan, God's eternal plan. How amazing and exciting is that to be part of that? The light of the world. And then it says, let, uh, in this verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Our personal holiness, our confession and healing and restoration is a light to others in our community. Our personal holiness, how we deal with our faith together as a group and as individually is a light to others. Again, can God be a light to others if we're not holy? Sure. But he chooses to use us And our holiness matters. How we behave, the things we say, we're set apart for God. And so our good deeds show the goodness of God. Again, God can do it without us, but he chooses to use us. How blessed is that? How blessed is that? And at Risen, we're in a strategic place in the west side of LA. Wealth, influence, influence education, people that make a difference, they're influencing the world and we have a chance to be a light in this community, to influence that influence. How exciting is that? Confessing our sin, growing in faith, being at the foot of the cross and then sharing the light of God with the world. It's a big call. It happens individually and it happens communally. Some of us are on the front lines of doing this. Some of us are in the middle of the ranks doing this. Some of us are in the reserves doing this. Some of us are on the home front doing this. But we're all doing it together as a community. We're bonding together, soldiering for the light of the world that God may be glorified. And when God's glorified, we experience tremendous joy and goodness. It's an exciting proposition. Mark Twain equipped. There's two the two most important days in your life. Number one, the day you were born. Number two, the day you figure out why you were born. This is why we were here, to glorify God, to be the light of the world, to live flourishing lives, confession of Christ. And Risen is strategically planted here to do this, to do this work. And we can only do it with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings us together shapes and molds us, and as a united front, we represent Christ to the world, confession of Christ. How exciting is that? Um, We need to take our sin seriously. We need to take our worship seriously, our discipleship seriously, our service seriously, our joy seriously. When we take these things seriously and lean into God's grace and the Holy Spirit, we are transformed to be like Christ, a light to the world. If you're not a Christian, I hope this is exciting. I hope this. Exciting. If you're not a Christian or you're struggling with your faith, I hope the idea of confessing sin and being whole, confessing sin and be, being restored, and then having a great purpose to share the word of God with others, I hope that's exciting to you. I would encourage you to continue to think about those things. A long time ago, we went to a conference Intervarsity conference, Sue and I, in college in Illinois, Urbana. Some of you might know that Urbana, Urbana Conference. It's a missions conference. 18,000 college students descend upon this campus for four days to talk about global missions. Everybody there in the, in the world is there. Speakers from around the world. Tony Campolo talked about his ministry in Philadelphia. Billy Graham spoke the opening evening. When Billy Graham spoke, 3,000 college students accepted Christ. i like, wait a minute. This is a missions conference. 3,000 people got up and committed themselves to Christ. What an amazing. There were books. There were speakers. All this stuff was happening. I bought all these books. One of them is Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World, Rebecca Pippert. I'm going to tell you how to do evangelism, how to be a light to the world. All these great books. We had a great time. We're excited. We go to the train station to go back to the airport. All these college students are in the train station. We're all excited. I'm standing in line to get our tickets for the train. And a man comes up to me. And he says, you know that girl over there? And he points right at Sue. He says, she looks like my daughter. And I said, great. I turned around, and I got back in line. I bought my ticket. I sat down in my seat, I pulled out my book, out of the salt shaker and into the world. About three seats down from me was this young college girl who was alone. She was not part of any group. She's actually kind of smelled. She was kind of smelly. She's from a certain part of the country that, you know, I'm not going to say the name, but, you know, maybe that would be apropos, right? She was tattered and didn't look great. And all of a sudden, I hear crying. She's crying. And this man is at her knees, in his mid-60s, at her knees, in her lap, crying, weeping. Someone told me about Jesus. She told him about Jesus. He accepted Christ. We all went to this missions conference to learn how to do this. He excited. this man came up to me. I ignored him. Three seats down, he's weeping, thank you for sharing Christ with me. I never knew. I never knew. That's our call. That's who we are, the light of the world. And by the way, being a light of the world is not easy. It takes real courage. It takes real courage to do that, to be the light of the world. You're going to be different if you're the light of the world. I go to this coffee shop. It's called La La Land. You guys know that coffee shop (laughs) in Montana? And I get, like, sometimes I get angsty about certain things. But their apron, it says, the kind army. And I'm like, the kind army? I like kindness as much as anybody. And I think kindness and empathy are huge, important virtues. We need to be loving and kind and generous and kind. The kind army. But I think in West L.A., kindness has become a cult. What about Courage. What's the courage to say, Jim, you're going off the deep end? With your sin, it's gripped it's, it's you. Let me have the courage to tell you that you need to go to Jesus with this. In private, it's not public, but courage. Let me have the courage to tell other people about Christ. Let's have some courage coupled with kindness and the Holy Spirit, right? We've cut out courage, we've cut out the Holy Spirit, and we just want to be kind to each other and not have any. Judgment or statement or anything, but God wants us to have some courage to share the good news, to live a life pleasing to him. And so we're going to look different, and we're going to have to have courage. We have four kids. People say that's stupid. We had their third kid. People are like, that's irresponsible. What about your 401K? I'm like, we didn't come here to have a 401K. We came here to raise souls, right? Sue and I stayed here in this community in West L.A., Because someone came to us when I was 16 and she was 15 and told us about the gospel. Somebody through Young Life, through UCLA students came to us and said, let's tell you about Christ. And they became friends with us. So we stay to do the same thing to tell others about Christ here. And it takes real courage because you're going to look different. We believe in objective truth, not relativism. We believe that marriage is forever. We believe we have a soul and that this is not all there is. We're not just DNA. We have a soul. And we have a meaning. We believe in a transcendent God. These are things that if you utter in society will make you look bad. They'll make you look different. We believe that life is rooted in God and not self. We believe in forgiveness that it's unlimited. We don't fear death. We know that God's taking care of all that. We believe that faith and reason are compatible that science and religion integrate. We believe that the elderly have something to say to us. We believe in the God of the Bible. And so as we go out, let's understand that that's going to take some courage because most people around us don't believe those things. Don't believe those things. So let's confess Christ. Let's confess sin. Let's flourish together as a community. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the church. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who died on the cross, forgave our sins, and resurrected so that we may be, may be right with you have life and life to the full. We're appreciative, Lord. We're grateful. You have the words of life. Where else will we go? Take care of us today. Help us to find others in our community that we can run with, that we can get excited about life with, that we can confess with, that we can point, toward, point to you toward, with, Lord. Be with us this day. In Christ's name, amen. amen.